Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate some late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a consumer, housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you'll want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. The ResTalk podcast is one of the new ways ResNet's communicating with all stakeholders. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for almost 30 years and been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. Perspective. Well, the first dictionary definition may come to mind for our technical listeners, and that's the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface to give the right impression of height, width, depth, and position when viewed from a particular point. It's really the second dictionary definition we'll pivot from today. And that definition is a particular attitude toward a way of regarding something, simply a point of view. In this episode, we will chat with Terry Duzinski. Terry's been working in the fields of general contracting and energy auditing since the early 80s, and all that time, or most of that time, in Alaska. He has the honor of being the first HERS Raider of record. Terry has interacted with Steve Baden since before ResNet existed. Listen as we gain perspective on the field of energy rating and learn how much has changed over the decades, and also see what remains the same. Listen up. Today, we're very, very happy to be recording here at the ResNet 2019 conference. So I'm going to timestamp this one. And I have the pleasure of meeting and chatting with Terry Duzinski. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Good morning, Bill. I'm fine. Great. Great to have you here. So Terry, we're going to be talking about the topic sentence is hers rating since I started. That's sort of a quote from you. And you're going to give a very interesting perspective because you started, when did you start? 1986. Wow. So 1986. We're talking 40, 40 almost 40 years ago. Uh, Not quite 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. Something like 35 years ago. So Terry, where do you hail from? Where do you live? Oh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Have you always been in Fairbanks? I've been there for 44 years. Okay. And so that's where I started my career. What does your arc of your career look like since you've been doing ratings for that long period of time? Before I did ratings, I was a general contractor before a general contractor, I was a sheetrocker. Okay. <laughs> so I've been around construction my whole life. And in the early 80s, I got connected with the state of Alaska. They asked me to train energy auditors because the state of Alaska had a program specially for that because we were washing money right after the pipeline started to flow. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to spend money on the people who lived there. And so they gave them a $300 grant to make their house a little more tight, a little more insulation. And so they had an energy audit program, and not that I knew anything about that at that time, but I took the course, Mm -hmm. and then I began teaching other people how to do the job as well. That was 1980. So I did that, and I ran that program north of the Alaska Range for about five years till it kind of went away. How many homes do you think you touched or affected? And that one kind of program. In that program? Yeah. Hundreds? Thousands, thousands maybe? Yeah. Well, not thousands. Yeah, okay. Because it was just a north of the Alaska oh, right, Range right. section. So there was, I don't know, no one 
kept track of that at that time. <laughs> so we're awash in data in these in these times, and everybody's got a chart of data or something. But how about the $300 grant? How far did that go? What could you do for $300? You could add more insulation to your attic, maybe. Put on uh, window film on the inside of your window to add another pane of glass, technically. You could add a little insulation around the foundation, maybe. Mm-hmm. And three hundred dollars in nineteen eighty was actually quite a bit of money. Sure, yeah, I think it's hard in today's perspective to recognize the difference in the spend for three hundred dollars. Well, we had a program again. Alaska had a program in two thousand eight when we had a lot of money when oil was one hundred and fifty dollars a barrel, and they put four hundred million dollars on the street at one time, and people were getting a four thousand dollar rebate for doing work on their house up to a ten thousand dollar rebate. Were you involved in those kind of programs? And Yes. Yeah. I was doing a lot of energy ratings at that time because that was the process. In 1980, there was an energy audit program where the rater or the auditor went in and actually calculated the heat loss out of every wall, every window, wow. and added them up. And we had a little program that you had on a HP41C computer, and they had a little printer that came out with it, and you could print out all the heat loss calcs on the house. Wow. And wall by wall. Wall by wall. Yeah. Component by component. You I, I think say. you're tickling the fancy of many engineers out there and making a couple people go a little crazy with all that detail. Well, it was really interesting because that was 1980. And then, so in 1985, I heard about Energy Rated Homes of America, which Jay Luboff, who was out of Washington State, developed. And this is my understanding it was a one sheet checkoff sheet that was supposed to be done by the appraiser as he did the appraisal. Mm -hmm. So it seemed easy to him to, easy to Jay to think that an appraiser would actually do that. But he had no interest from appraisers in Washington, nor did he have anybody wanting them, I guess, maybe at that time, 1985 or 84. So I found out about this and I was able to, I I suppose you could say, buy a franchise. Mm Mm-hmm. And myself and another fellow out of Anchorage, Jeff Filer, we bought the first two franchises of energy-rated homes of Alaska. And so I guess technically that was the first HERS program that was done by an energy rater, not an appraiser. Yeah. And it's interesting, we have, we're at the ResNet 2019 conference here, and the kickoff, the keynote speech was by an appraiser. It was. <laughs> so what goes it's around comes around. 40 years. No, that's right. <laughs> so what do you do today? Well, I still do energy ratings. I'm mm-hmm. certified ICC combination inspector, so I do new construction inspections from footings to completion and provide the energy rating along the way and the guidance at the beginning of the project to make the house meet Alaska's energy standard. But what I was going to say about the, we've had this detailed audit program in 1980. Energy Rated Homes comes along, and it has a little software called Easy Rater. And it asked for the area of the windows and how much of it faced south, the R values of the walls, R values of foundation, ceiling, those sorts of things. The level of tightness, is it loose, medium, or tight, you think? And it does it have a setback thermostat and what kind of a boiler it is. It's one page. And little software printed off and gave you a score. Mm-hmm. And it was four star. It was a star rating. So it was three-star plus, four-star, four-star plus, five-star was the top end of it, five-star plus. 
And it was really, really simple compared to the energy audit that we had done because it wasn't calculating any heat loss. Mm -hmm. It was just ranking the house. It was better than the next house based on the insulation levels in it. And then, of course, you know where we are now today with our software doing houses. We know exactly where the BTUs are and where they're going and coming from, and and it's real detailed. Yeah, high evolution of, of that kind of detail. Yeah. So what's been your involvement with ResNet over that time? Just I was happy when it was started, knowing Steve Baden from when he lived in Alaska mm-hmm. and knowing that he was involved with it. I think I came to the first, second ResNet conference, and I think that was held in San Diego. Okay. And I've been coming for the majority of them since then, just because there's so much to learn here. Mm-hmm. And it's different than the way it is in Alaska. We have our own software. Alaska and California, I think, are the two states that don't have a ResNet program. Mm-hmm. And so I like to see how it's done. We'd like to say, we don't care how they do it outside. <laughs> but you do. Right? We do. You're looking yeah. for inspiration, thoughts, uh, yeah. ideas to, to come forth from that. Yes. So can you remember sort of going back to that, the second conference, or the first one you went to, the second conference, what did it sort of look like? What were the topics, maybe the size of the crowd, that kind of thing? What it was did, a small crowd. What do you recall? I think yeah. there was two or 300 people, mm-hmm. maybe, or maybe less than that. I don't remember exactly. And it was talking about energy ratings, and there was a lot of details about how to do them or how to be a rater and be a rater in the business to sell your product. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the marketing of your services. Yes. How do you get the builders to use it? Right. Because there was no reason for them to use it. So the marketing had to be that, oh, now you can see how energy efficient the house is. Sure. I think that's evolved because we hear about builders signing on all the time and on memorandum of understanding with uh, ResNet and, and those kind of affiliations, but it's still not pervasive. It's not everywhere. Yes. Do you know, maybe not by name, but do you know builders in Alaska that do align with the ResNet principles? And Well, in Alaska, we started in 1992. The Home Builders Association actually got together and had a law passed to license builders and require continuing education and to put in a set of standards to build by. We don't have a building code outside of city limits, but we have a standard, which hmm. is was the UBC or U. Yeah, one or two family dwelling code. And we put in an, an energy standard. And the energy standard actually was certifiable either prescriptively or performance-wise mm-hmm. by having an energy rating that was a four-star plus to start with. Got it. And now our minimum standard is five-star. And we have uh, ratings that are six-star. They added a star a couple, three years ago because we were going beyond the points of the five-star plus with the new passive houses. And we use a lot of insulation in Alaska. And so Mm -hmm. people were scoring 100 on the rating scale, and five-star plus was only at 92. So how do you give them extra points for the other eight they're gaining or so on and so forth? So almost every builder in Alaska is bought on. And they all have, we have energy ratings done on the majority of all houses, new houses built today because of the financing. It's just you can't get financing through the Alaska Housing Finance Corporation unless you meet the building standard and the energy standard. Do you get engaged with training? I have. Yeah, because you seem to have this very broad perspective on things. Uh, So it'd be a very rich content for a trainer. Yes. In 1988, I was part of a group that formed the Alaska Craftsman Home Program. And the goal of that was to 
teach builders how to build energy efficient houses. And it was a offshoot of the Canadian R2000 program. So they were generous enough to give us their book. And we were able to change the way you spell vapor. <laughs> really? In the book. <laughs> that was, was our significant edited, edit. <laughs> the only editing we did of their book, because it was so good, they had already been edited for so long. And we called it the Alaska Craftsman Home Program. And we went out, it was like, I often think of us sort of like disciples. We mm -hmm. went out two by two. Yeah. <laughs> did you come back? <laughs> Most of the time. Okay. But we had a partner in this, of, there were 24 of us, and so mm -hmm. the, we had a partner that we always worked with, and we would go out to the villages, we would go to Anchorage, we'd go to Kodiak, and different parts of the state, and talk to and do these classes for free. It was a two-day advanced coal climate home building course. And so the topics of those classes, how do they compare to things that are being taught today? Do you look it back and say, changed. wow, no? Really? Well, I mean, building science is building science. Sure, sure. Not much has changed. Yeah. Certainly a lot of the materials that we use today in houses and how we build our houses, there's mirrored ways of building a house. And so the Alaska ACHP, we called it, our program was to not tell you how to build the perfect house, but to teach you best practice to build the house the way you are building it. Interesting. So if you're building a double wall, you're building a standoff wall, you're building a Scandinavian strapped wall, you're mm -hmm. building a single wall, or however you're going to do it, these are the things that you need to follow in building that type of a wall, maybe in foundation. Today, if actually we just, we looked up a little fact before we started recording here today. I got on my cell phone, I punched into Google some things, we looked at it. So how is, would you say, internet in the Easy transmission of data, how has that affected things? Because you have this long view backward. As to, is it easier to teach, to convey? Uh, do people come to you with better formed questions because they've done some their own research? You find everything on the internet now. Yeah. I have to confess that when the internet first came out, I guess, and people did use it, I once saw somebody who was more far thinking than I was who had their website on the back of their truck, and I laughed at that thinking, who's going to go there? Right. But so, yeah, in, in class, I mean, you can get online and give people information that you don't have to put on your slides or your PowerPoints and just say, here's a website you can look at. Here's a way to build this house and here's a way to build this or this is a new foundation system and that sort of thing. And then give them the tools to go out and do that. And do that. Yeah, it's just amazing. So in being an instructor and working with people, when you look out across the classroom, how has that changed over time? The kind of people that are coming to learn, maybe their occupations, their demographics, things like that. When Alaska had the last energy surge in 2008 to 2016, Alaska Housing Finance did a whole education program for homeowners oh. because we were doing an audit or a rating on their house. And if they were able to move their house one level, they could get $4,000 back. So a lot of the people did their own work, but a lot of people didn't know how to do the work. And so these were classes. We took our advanced cold climate home building class and broke it down into eight two-hour classes. And so we had two hours in building science, two hours in foundations, and two hours in walls, and air tightness, and ventilation, and every subject, windows, heating systems. And so people would come, and we'd do them like in the evenings, do a two-hour once every day of the week except Friday, hmm. and they'd show up at 7 o'clock or 6.30 or whatever and do their two hours and learn. And people would go through the whole series, oftentimes more than once. And so we've had this whole group of people who weren't builders, just regular homeowners, getting to see what it was like to work on the house and understand why 
yeah. what they needed to do because the building science is such a basic part of understanding how to build. And that's the thing we found with builders too. Builders know how to build houses very well, but they don't often understand why they're doing what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, that's the why, yeah, starting and from And once the they get that, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing we've found is we've trained, we've now been doing it for a long time, so the electricians carry red tape, the sheetrockers, they don't screw up the vapor barrier. Everybody is cognizant of building this airtight shell. Mm-hmm. And so all the subs now understand what's going on. They've sort of come down to them. And uh, they all kind of work together in that fashion. Our air tightness levels are really high or low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That way. Yeah, low leakage. So do you like have any, I mean, we talked about data. Do you have any like late, later statistics or scores on these homes? Like how are things performing? What are the trends? We had, when they made the house, uh, the standard, minimum standard house, five-star, builders in Fairbanks were already building five-star plus as their standard house. So everybody wants, and Fairbanks is a unique location because of our temperature and climate. But the buyers wanted something more than the minimum standard, and the builders found a way to actually put that together at a reasonable rate. And so our air tightness levels are tighter and tighter. We're, we're in the 1.7, or not, 0.7.91 air change levels mm-hmm. at 50. And that's the standard contractor job. Well, the insulation contractors who come in and do that job, that's what they get. That's what you get when they do that. Mm-hmm. They're so good at doing And it looks neat. The Tremco is not sloppy. and Yeah. It's just a good-looking job. So I think the air tightness is the biggest thing. HRVs, a new, most new construction, I would say 90% of new construction has an HRV. It's mm-hmm. not required, oh, but really? it's there. You can't really build an airtight house without sure. good ventilation, ventilation, and that's yeah. the best one to, Dedicated. to have. Yeah. How about the agenda at this year's conference? What do you see? What Any kind of trends in the agenda? From what I've seen, there's a lot of forward-thinking ideas about policy mm-hmm. and sustainability and those types of subjects. Mm-hmm. Not as many nuts and bolts subjects. Got it. And how mm-hmm. to do. It sounds like you've been this kind of continuing force there in Alaska. And to me, I didn't know you until yesterday. Uh. <laughs> And it's uh, very happy to meet your acquaintance and learn about what you've done over these years in Alaska. Do you feel like you can be a disciple now to the other 49 states? <laughs> I have to admit, I've been involved with the National Association of Home Builders oh. since 1989. So I've been on their board of directors for over 20 years and been on the Energy Committee and Health and Safety Committee. And so when I go, to those meetings, I'm often sort of appalled at the lack of knowledge mm. that builders, even in the northern tier states, Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, even though they're progressive, they don't have the whole picture, the right. whole knowledge picture. They're not getting the training. It's the thing. The builders are sort of getting it, but they're not getting like the house as a system. And that's really what we've been teaching in Alaska for a long time, and yeah. our builders tend to know that. And these builders, I've not seen that in just in their comments and meetings mm-hmm. and their attitude. I mean, in general, their attitudes, they want to make money. Why right. are they in business? Sure. And so how do you do it and still sell a house? Yeah. I think it's an interesting combination between the consumer education that you did, the homeowner education, and that maybe perhaps creates the demand for a more knowledgeable consumer 
that's going to ask the questions that will cause the builder to step up to that level. It almost seems like the physical isolation of Alaska actually helped in this case. Pretty unique environment, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. And you're right, exactly what you did. When you have a more informed consumer, mm -hmm. the, the contractor has to prove that he's up to their speed on things. And I have to say, I've been a builder's advocate since I started, and that's why I've been involved with the NHP for so long, is mm -hmm. that if you can get a little bit done, if you can move them just a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more this year, a little bit more next year, and pretty soon you've got a lot of ways you've gone forward in making houses energy efficient. When we first started, our goal was 1.5 air changes at 50. Mm -hmm. And everybody goes, says, yeah. that'll never happen. That's impossible. Yes. <laughs> And now it's like, oh, God, it's 1.5. It's really leaky. <laughs> <laughs> wow, quite a transformation. Yes. So, so you mentioned the NAHB Health and Safety Committee. What kind of activities are That's or mostly OSHA. It's, oh. it's how to deal with OSHA. OSHA oftentimes comes over and says hi with a hammer. And that's the thing. They, they want the builders who are involved not to be hurt. Sure. Not to get hurt, first of all, but not to be hurt financially by being ignorant of what needs to be done and how mm -hmm. to do it. And so they have a lot of programs, safety programs that comes out of NHB for builders to understand that. And like I said, OSHA wants to be your partner, mm -hmm. but oftentimes OSHA inspectors, it, it seems like they're being paid on commission. You know, they come through and, oh, you got one violation. Well, that's $10,000. Wow. They just fine. Whereas when the state runs it, and it, is a, it takes a long time for the state to be able to run the OSHA mm -hmm. in your state, it took us about five years, the home builders, five years to get that through the legislature. And the state can come through and say, oh, you got this and this and this wrong. Why don't you fix that? We'll come back and check. Okay. No fines. And that's the kind of thing you need to do with people yeah. to get them to change and understand. Cooperative environment. Yeah. Yeah. So that's worksite health and safety. It is. Not, not about the home health no, and safety. No, not at all. Okay. Does come out through other... But safety, we have, I mean, obviously, spend most of your time indoors. Right. And when you have a house that's airtight, and we were building in the early 80s, we were building houses that were airtight but not ventilated, and small houses, smaller houses are even worse because all the moisture stays in the house. Sure. So oftentimes with an exhaust fan that did not go out in the kitchen and a bathroom fan that did not move much air. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of bad environments in a lot of the 80s houses, early 80s houses in Fairbanks, even though they weren't sealed, there was a vapor barrier or a vapor retarder there. Mm -hmm. But it was, even though there was no tape or no Tremco or anything like that, it still was air, more airtight than it should have been under the conditions. And so we've really come a long way in understanding the value of ventilation the public has through that rebate program. So they're willing to pay extra for the HRV or they want a ventilation system in their house of sure. some sort. They appreciate that and mm -hmm. they've learned about it. So over the years, what would you consider perhaps your proudest moment? Something you recognized and you thought back and uh, you felt you had your hand in on something. I guess I could think the Alaska Craftsman Home Program was started in 1988 and we were met with a little resistance or maybe a lot of resistance from a lot of builders. And in around 19, or 2000, we sort of felt like we had achieved our goal because we had the majority of builders had been through our course once, two or three times. Mm -hmm. They knew what a blower to our test is. They knew what a good air tightness level is. They knew the building science. They not all practiced it, but for the most part, they had the knowledge base. And so we were standing around going, what are we going to do next? <laughs> 
And that I think that it's, was it's a good, weird feeling. Yeah, <laughs> to think that you actually achieved your goal yeah. to, to train so many builders in a state. Now, we don't have a lot of them, but still, it was good to have happen. I have the notion that you're a nose-to-the-grindstone kind of guy, that you just look at the work, you take care of the work, and you keep on grinding away. And when you get to that moment, you go, like, what happened? The grindstone stopped. <laughs> It's like when you graduate from high school or college, you go, oh, now what? what? That's right. (laughs) How about over the span of time, maybe the most interesting house that you've rated? Interesting construction or or challenging, perhaps? We had a couple of earth-filled houses, I guess you call them. They were a concrete balloon or a balloon poured with concrete over top of it. Mm -hmm. And then the dirt came over and covered everything except the face. They were big in the mid-90s, I guess. Okay. But we have two or three of those, which were unusual in how you built it, as well as the idea that the earth is now making the insulation as well Interesting. for it. Moisture issues or? They had, both of those had HRVs okay. in them. I didn't like them because you only had one wall of glass. The rest of it was just all, you can't see out. Right. And which direction did they face the glass? Always south. Always south. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In Alaska, sure. You always want to go south in Alaska. Right. <laughs> Oh, very good. We've covered a lot of different topics and points of discussion here. I'll give you a time for a little bit of uh, wrap-up thoughts or anything you'd like to say about perhaps this conference or your perspectives over time. Well, right now, I think one of the most important things is to get value for energy efficiency. And if we're going to continue to build energy efficient houses and make them more energy efficient, the appraisal is going to have to be there. You have someone building a passive house and Usually the passive houses are built by the owners who are dedicated to saving energy. And so they put all this money into this house, an extra thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then depending on how long they live there, they'll never live there long enough to get their money back. Yeah. And then the next guy comes along and the appraiser says, Oh, it's equal to a comparable that doesn't have any of that insulation in it and yeah. so the next guy gets a hell of a house. So you're not going to get a builder to build that kind of house. You're not going to get a builder to go stretch himself and build more energy efficient if he's not going to be rewarded for it. And coming out with the right way to reward the builder in the value is really the key to what's going on right now. And it's a problem and we have in Fairbanks and all of Alaska and I think nationally because when I go went to NHB, one of the big topics was appraisal values. Mm-hmm. So I think that's our next big one too kind of get on board. So trying to get the appraisers on board is really the next big push. I like the, also the aspect of the consumers too, that the consumers are being intrepid out there and being brave to build their own home sort of at, at their own risk. Early um, adopters, I yeah. mean, they always pay the most. Right. But without the early adopters, you don't get the, the learning curve to figure out a better way to do it. Yeah. We build a house called, a, or a style called remote wall, hmm. which is not brand new, just a different way, which is all the insulations on the outside. Okay. So you build a house out of two by fours and you put poly over the whole outside of the house, which is easier to make it airtight when it's there, mm-hmm. less penetrations. And then you put your insulation on the outside. And that is an expensive way to build because it's mostly using foam. And few builders are building that way because they can't get the money back. I mean, right. they'll, you can't build a spec that way. You can no. build a custom, and people will pay the builder to build a custom, but the customer has to ask for it. Different one, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Terry. It's been a very interesting conversation. You've even lightened me, and I was just speaking with someone else a few minutes ago about 
what's old is new again <laughs> and things that are new to you. So even from your perspective with a lot of stories that come from the past, there's still a lot of the similar themes that abound in, in these discussions. So I want to thank you again sure. for being on the Res Talk podcast and look forward to continuing our discussions as new friends and colleagues. Thank Sounds you, Terry. Sounds great, Bill. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Take care, everyone. And please subscribe or follow Res Talk. You can follow on the resnet.us website, or you can subscribe on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just type in ResTalk, R-E-S-T-A-L-K. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Well, thank you for listening today, and we hope you gain some perspective, some things that will change your mind or your point of view. If you've liked what you heard today, if you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, consider doing so by typing ResTalk into the search bar of any of the typical podcast apps. That way you'll get all the episodes as soon as they launch by subscription. You can also listen in your browser by following the links at resnet.us slash professional. If you're a consumer and want to learn more about the benefits of a home energy rating, cruise on over to resnet.us, click on the consumer link to learn more. Here's a quote for the day, or a thought. This is by Chris Pine, who's the actor who's lately played Captain Kirk in Star Trek, which appeals to me. The only thing you sometimes have control over is perspective. You don't have the control over your situation, but you have a choice about how you view it. So let's keep our perspectives in line and hope you join us again on the Res Talk podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.